Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 7. Just a few verses. It's going to be found on page 1142 in your Old Testament, in the Old Testament section of your pew Bibles. Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 7. Before I read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day and for the gift of your word, which um, we have to read. Pray you would help us to read it, but not just to let our eyes hit the page, not only to let our ears hear the words. We pray that you would give us your spirit of understanding, that we would know what it is that you are telling us. God, that we would come to know you better, that we would come to love and trust you more as you make us into the people that you created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Isaiah chapter 50, starting in verse 4, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Turning then to Mark 11, verses 1 through 11. As Jesus, who has set his face like flint towards Jerusalem, now enters it. Mark 11, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We've already heard a lot uh, this morning from um, about this final week. And Palm Sunday, particularly in that last passage we just read, about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. This is why it's called Palm Sunday, as people are cutting these palm branches and laying them down on the road in front of him as he comes into the city. And we also mentioned it's called Passion Sunday, because even though the people celebrating Jesus' arrival into the city didn't understand why he was coming into the city, he knew. He knew what was ahead of him, and yet he rode forward. So here's my question for, for you today. Where do you want to be, assuming, assuming you're alive, a year from now, 
five years from now, where do you want to be? And you can think about that, whether in that question, you take it a lot of different ways, maybe geographically, where you want to live. Those of you who five years from now will be out of high school and out of your parents' house, where, where does that look like? You can think about it relationally. Are there relationships you are either in now or not in now? What does that look like five years from now? You may think about this job-wise. Is there a job you're currently in now you'd like to be doing something different? Where do you see yourself five years from now? Where do you want to be? It's an important question to ask. And even though this morning you got asked that question in church by a preacher, I'm guessing a lot of you probably didn't think of, I want to be in the center of God's will. But that's what I want us to think about today, is that where, whatever that means for all those other questions and how we answer those, this one ought to be primary. Is I want to be at the center of God's will. I want to be where he wants me to be, even if that's different than maybe what we would have first put down. That's where we want to be. We saw this in the Garden of Gethsemane already with Jesus uh, in the children's sermon as he prays, not what I want, but what you want. And we're going to see this now again in the life of Paul and his companions as they travel through um, oh, all around the Mediterranean Sea. Paul has been uh, going from town to town. He's been telling people about Jesus, and he'd started this a while back. He'd gone back home, and now he's gone out again. He's kind of checking on these churches, and he's gone through and checked on several of them. Now he's trying to go into some new areas that may or may not go as he planned. It's a little hint. This starts in Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. By the way, if you have a map in your Bible, (laughs) this is a good place to look look at it and kind of follow along where they go. A lot of Bibles actually have in the back of them. um, I don't think ours do here in the pew Bibles. You can check that for me. Uh, A lot of Bibles will have maps in the back. Mine doesn't either. And if they do, they'll probably have, like, arrows and show where Paul goes, which makes it really easy to find these places, because otherwise it's just a bunch of confusing words. Um, but just keep in mind, as, he's, as Luke is writing all this and telling all these places, they're all weird words to us. But for everybody reading it originally, they'd know right away what all these places were. It'd be like us saying, yeah, so I went to Menard, and then, <laughs> oh, yeah, I know where that is. Um, that's what it was for them. And so he says that Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. It's a weird line. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Hmm. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. I practiced this one too. (laughs) Samothrace. There it is. And the next day went on to uh, Neapolis, 
From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Here we have a part of Paul's journey. And it's a weird part because so far it seems like you know, people would send them out from the church and Paul would go with whoever his companion was at the time and they would go out and it was like everywhere they went. Sometimes people accepted the message, sometimes they didn't, but they got to go kind of freely wherever it was that they were going. And here, not so much. And so we have several times where Paul actually tries to go somewhere and is not able to. And did you hear how he described him not being able to? He doesn't say, you know, I tried to go over there, but, you know, the bridge was out. Or <laughs> I tried to go over there, uh, but, you know, they, they were closed for the night. That wasn't a thing. But he says, I tried to go, um, <laughs> I tried to go several places. One, says he, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Okay. And then also, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Now, first of all, this tying together of the Holy Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus and kind of identifying those together, that's a big deal. But anyway, um, but to describe it this way, of saying we couldn't go in there because God was stopping us. He was saying, no, that's not the way I want you to go. That's different than just saying, okay, the road was closed, the bridge was out. But God's saying, no, that's not where I want you to be. And yet, he has been sent out to preach the good news about Jesus. And so he's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go here. I'm going to preach the good news about Jesus. And God says, no, not there. He says, okay, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to preach the good news about Jesus. No, not there. What in the world? <laughs> and then he has a vision of this man from across the water in Macedonia who says, come over here and help us. He says, okay. <laughs> then that's where we're going to go. And we go over there. And uh, this, by the way, is probably where he picks up Luke, because Luke, who's writing this book, it's been saying, uh, they did this, they did this, they did this, until you get to Troas. And then he starts saying, we did this, until they get to Philippi. Um, and so Luke is probably part of this particular journey. And they get over to Philippi. And I think this is fascinating what happens here. Because the first place that Paul was trying to go that he didn't get to go was where? Ah, you didn't see that question coming, did you? <laughs> There's the province of Asia, which is not like our continent of Asia we think of today. This was one of the uh, Roman provinces there, and um, it's kind of western Turkey. That's where he wanted to go, and he's prevented from going there. At the end of what we just read today, did you hear who he was meeting with and where he was staying? He was staying at the house of a woman named Lydia, and she was, you know, dealer of purple cloth. And she was, uh, she became a Christian. She and her whole household, she became a Christian. And did you catch where she was from? Thyatira. 
This means nothing to me. Where's Thyatira? It's right there in the middle of the province of Asia. So here Paul has his own ideas. I'm going to go to Asia, and I'm going to tell the people of Asia about Jesus. And God says, no, there's a woman who's in Macedonia who's actually from Asia, and she needs to hear about Jesus. And so that's where he goes. He goes actually away from Asia to meet someone from Asia to preach to. How about that? Isn't God amazing? Have you had experiences like this in your life? No? Maybe not. Maybe some of you have, where you have your own ideas of this is what I'm going to do, and it doesn't work at all the way that you're wanting to do it. And yet, even though God leads you a different direction and to do something else, looking back on it later, you go, oh, well, now that makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense why he didn't want me to do that other thing. I had no idea me going forward, but looking back on it, it totally makes sense. I think this is the position that Paul and his companions are in, is they have their own ideas, and they have been sent on this mission, and they're going to go do their thing. But they fully understand it's not their thing. That where they want to be is where God wants them to be. And so, okay, we're going to go over to Asia. No, you're not. Okay, we're not going to go to Asia. (laughs) They're going to go to Bithynia. No, you're not. Okay, we're not going to go to Bithynia. Come to Macedonia. Okay, we'll go to Macedonia. Where are you going to be in five years? How are you going to know if you are in the center of God's will? There is a, uh, a way that I have used for years. My brother and I came up with this together when we were much younger, hence the weird acronym. Um, a way of figuring out God's will. We actually took this from other people, but we renamed it. Where it's SPAM, S-P-A-M. So that's what you get when you're in college and you do these things. So SPAM, S-P-A-M. It's easy to remember, though. Uh, scripture, prayer, advice, mind. So how do you figure out what God's will is? Scripture. You start there. You know what the Bible says. This is one of the things that Paul was thoroughly acquainted with. Just reading the scriptures, knowing what God has said in the past. I don't know if you're familiar with the, um, you know, what would Jesus do? Braces, WWJD. And a lot of people had those, what would Jesus do? bracelets, but nobody had any idea what Jesus actually had done. (laughs) And so the way they would answer the question, what would Jesus do? I don't know, probably what I would do. No, (laughs) he probably wouldn't actually. And so if you're going to follow what would Jesus do, you have to know what he actually did. Makes sense. And the same way, if you're going to know what God's will is, you probably need to know what he's already said. And so knowing scripture, big in there. Prayer, having that relationship with God through Jesus, so that you learn uh, to recognize his voice through scripture, through prayer. You're constantly having that conversation with him when you're saying, where do you want me? What do you want me to be doing? Um, And then advice, where you actually check, run things by those uh, Christians who are mature in the faith, who you trust that they are going uh, to do their best to lead you in God's way, not Uh, just tell you what you want to hear. So seek out people like that. Get their advice. And then, of course, use your own God-given mind to put all of that together and say, okay, then here's where we're going. This is what we're doing. So there's that as sort of a grid to go through that's somewhat helpful. Um, 
But basically what it's helpful in doing is helping you discern the difference between what you want to do and what it is that God wants you to do. And the same way uh, with what we're saying about the what would Jesus do bracelets, I think a lot of times the way that we tend to determine God's will is we say, I want to do this thing, and so I'm going to pray, God, I'm going to do this thing. Is that all right? Okay, good. And then we go off and do the thing. <laughs> and we're like, I'm pretty sure this is what he wants me to do because I already want to do it. And why would he have given me the desire if he didn't want me to do it? <laughs> but there again, read through Scripture. How often does God call people to do what they already wanted to do? How often does Jesus give us commands to do the things that we already want to do? What would be the point of that, really? I don't have to command my children to eat candy. You want to know why? <laughs> One, they're already going to do it. <laughs> that, that is, yeah, they want to. And so you don't have to command somebody to do something they already want to do. And so when you look through the things that Jesus tells us to do, it's almost always stuff that we don't want to do. And so he says, love your enemies. And we say, no, oh, I don't want to do that. Said, Pray for those who persecute you. Why would I? Forgive those who have wronged you. Mm-mm-mm. Every step along the way, he's telling us to do the things that we don't want to do. When we see Paul and his companions going along, they end up in Macedonia. But what they wanted to do was go to Asia. And that didn't work. They wanted to go to Bithynia. But what they wanted more than to go to those places was to follow where God was leading them. They wanted to be at the center of his will because this was his thing, not their thing. So my question then, when I asked you about the where do you want to be in five years? My question is, is your answer to that, is your answer to that question going to be because this is your thing or because this is his thing? Is your life your thing or is your life his thing? We saw, you know, Jesus doesn't just give these commands and say, this is what to do. And you say, but I don't want to do it. He also lives that way. He fully trusts in God. And we saw that in the Garden of Gethsemane. We even see that on Palm Sunday. As he is coming into Jerusalem, and everyone is saying, Hosanna, which means, save us. And what they think that means is come in here and fight our battles against the Romans. But Jesus knows what this means stretch out your hands and let the Romans nail you to a cross. That is what it's going to take for me to save these people. And we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, he doesn't want to do that. And so he says, if there's any other way, let's do it another way. I don't want to do it this way. Is there any other way? But this is the way. And so the question is, in this, is he going to trust? And is he going to say, I want what you want more than I want what I want? This is what Jesus does. And this is because he does this, because he goes to the cross, we have access to the same sort of relationship with God. 
where he can lead us, like Paul, where he can lead us in all of our relationships to do the things we don't want to do. He can lead us in our jobs to do the things we don't want to do. And our families, moves, do the things we don't want to do. To stay places we don't want to stay or to go to places we don't want to go to. He can lead us. But we have to answer honestly, do we want what he wants more than we want what we want? And honestly, answering that, <laughs> answering that the Christian way is easy to do dishonestly. <laughs> answering that honestly is what really gets to the heart of the issue. And it's the reason that Jesus had to go to the cross at all is because when we get honest, most of the time, we want what we want more than we want what he wants. And so we hear the things that he says. I want you to do this. This is what it means to follow me. My ways are not your ways. Follow me. Trust me. This is the way that leads to life. And we say, that sounds great for someone else or maybe in a different scenario, but you don't understand what I'm going through right now. I don't want to do that. I'm not doing it your way. And if you've been there, I have a lot, (laughs) you know that's not the way to life. And yet we still go that way. We still do it. But what he has come to give us is something much, much better. But what it really takes is a full and complete trust that his ways are not our ways. That finding out his way is not a matter of just determining what I want and saying that's got to be what he wants. But listening for his voice, seeing where it is that he's blocking us and not assuming that what we want is what he wants, but really searching, searching what he has said, what he is saying, hearing how our hearts rebel against that, and then surrendering. Not what I will, but what you will. For Jesus, this meant going to a cross. For us, he says it means we will take up our own cross, follow him. For Paul, he ends up, at the end of our story today, leading a woman to Christ. And next week we'll see, it's not long after this, he ends up in a Philippian jail. What we want is not always what he wants. We'll see even from the jail what God does there. The reason, the reasons that he has brought him to this area. What he wants and what we want are different. Do we want what he wants more than what we want? That is the question that will determine where you are in five years. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.